MNK Talk YA now presents The Winter of the Witch Part 1 of the Winter Night Trilogy by Catherine Arden. M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Kitty Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the third book in the Winter Night Trilogy by Catherine Arden. This is The Winter of the Witch. And we read up to part four for this first half. Yes. I just had a moment where I thought that we finished the book this week and I couldn't remember how it ended. So I'm glad that I just remembered (laughs) we only did the first half. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't remember what happened. Because we haven't finished yet, that would make Nope, we, we still got half a book left to tie things up, and I feel like it's, I feel like we can wrap it up in the next half a book. Sometimes I'm a little scared, but um, I, I think we're in a good place. One thing I do love about this book is, again, I think I've said this about a couple series recently, actually, but the pacing, while different than some of the others, is actually working well, in part because I never expect things to go, like, as extreme as they do. Like, even when her identity was revealed in the second book, I, like, thought it would be more drawn out than it it was, like, all of a sudden, her hat was ripped off or whatever, or her cloak, and then Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And, like, same with this book at the beginning. It was, like, all of a sudden she's being accused of being a witch and being burned at this, you know and like I, but I feel like things happen fast like they aren't drawn out for an extremely long period of time which I'm glad about because yeah. I like when things are fast-paced and I'm not you know waiting for the plot to happen yep but oh my god that was a horrible scene when they were trying to burn her alive and again I was just like poor Vasilisa like Hasn't this poor girl been through enough? Let's beat her up and throw her in a cage and and try to burn her. And our favorite, and I mean that sarcastically, damn Constantine was back. (laughs) And it's all his fault that she was going through this again. She should have killed him the first chance or let let him walk into the pond with the in book one when she saved his life. Oh my goodness. She really should have killed him when she could have. Or just let him die. She didn't even have to kill him. She could have just not saved his life. No, she needs to kill him. <laughs> I mean, at this point, she needs to kill him, but... <laughs> I also hated how um, he basically tells Dimitri, like, when Dimitri confronts him, he's like, no, I tried to prevent the mob from burning her, and then it was me who who kept the mob away from the tarum and protected all the other women. And I was like, oh my gosh, so now you're lying to the prince, and not only did you try and kill Vasilisa, you cut off her horse's head, and yeah. now you're, like, trying to pretend like you're this savior who, like, banishes demons. I hate everything about him. Okay, I will <laughs> say I still hate him as a person and want him to die, but I do like two changes. One was I, I do like, like, the political games, and I like that he kind of undermined Dimitri and Sasha again by saying, like, ask him. She did set the fire, and there's already mm-hmm. some distrust there. Like, I like that he was politically savvy enough to do, like, those kind of moves, that kind of cunningness I sort of appreciate. But the other thing I sort of like now is he's not pretending 
to be a man of God to himself anymore. Like, I think that was really bothering me before, how he was acting so righteous. Like, now at least I feel like he's, like, just embracing that he's a bad guy. I don't know if that makes sense. And it doesn't make me like him more, but I like that. I'm glad that we're not, like, faking it anymore. (laughs) Well, he's faking it to the townspeople. Like, he's faking it externally, but at least he's not lying to himself. Like, internally, he understands that he is now in league with a demon. Yep. And he wants power, and he... Yep. And he's willing to do whatever it takes. And it makes me dislike him more, too, because it makes him seem less redeemable. Like, I sort of maybe could have forgiven him if he thought he was listening to God and it turned out to be the devil and he changed his ways. But now it's like, no, you're just a bad guy. You know you're a bad guy. I just want you to get what's due to you vengeance-wise now. (laughs) I was so upset when he killed Nightingale. I was so sad. Yes. It was way too soon. That was another thing that just, like, I, ever since we've known that she would cry over a nightingale, I was expecting something to happen to him, but I was not, I feel like it was all, it was so sudden. Mm-hmm. Because just the other day we were talking, we were like, oh no, something better not happen to nightingale, and then within the first chapter, he, like, had his head cut off. And it didn't even feel, like, this sounds weird, but it didn't feel like a great ending, No. Like, it wasn't, I kind of thought he'd die, like, a more heroic death. And not that it wasn't, I mean, like, he was trying to help her, but it just sort of was, like, regular angry humans who killed him, not, like, Mm -hmm. the bear or the sorcerer or, I don't know. And he didn't even, like, die saving her, which was just also just, like, I I was thinking, yeah, he would die and it would, like, somehow save her life and, like, that would be the sacrifice he made. And it doesn't, like, change, like, I think that sacrificial type of love and caring and he, like, was trying to help her, but it was just a little bit disappointing that it, like, didn't, no good came of it at all. (laughs) Yeah, because you want the characters you love to have good endings if they have to die, and that was... Yeah. Really disheartening and just unfair and awful. But I do love, too, that she's, like, dealing with that grief. She's still doing things, but I'm glad that it wasn't... I'm glad that it's still hard because it's hard for me still. I'm sure. I, yeah, I think it's going to take a, a while for her to get over that, for sure. Um, How do you feel about the bear being back? <laughs> Speaking of the bear. Uh, I don't know. I think I... I still just don't entirely get him. So we've kind of changed the brother versus brother thing a little bit in this book because part of what the bear is doing is saying all of us are fading because of men and their gods. And so the only way for us to survive is if we destroy men. And he's trying to like start this war basically between like all the folk creatures and men, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He wants to, like, silence the bells that are, like, the church bells. And I kind of like that as a concept, but the fact that it's him again, and the only reason he's here is because Morosco tried to save her life. Basically, he, like, exchanged her life for his freedom, and then she didn't even take the bar. I, like, part of me still, there's, like, something that I don't get about what's going on. I don't know. How do you feel? I agree. Like, I don't... I'm kind of disappointed that it's the same villain we've seen before. I don't understand, like you said, I mean, I guess he freed the bear so that he could come and quote unquote rescue her when he couldn't. Like, it was the only way 
that he thought Vasya could be saved. But now the bear is allowed, like, part of me feels like the deal they made, he shouldn't be allowed to kill her, but now he's allowed to kill her. He just couldn't kill her in that one moment, even though she didn't even take him up on it. I think so. I mean, yeah, it's a little dicey, but I think now it's not so much that he's going to, well, it's not so much that he's going to kill her. I mean, he... That's true. Once he would have t- taken her as an ally if he if he could have, remember? Because yeah. at some point he asks her like, "Well, it sounds like he wants her as an ally by force or by will." At this point, so you're right. It doesn't sound like he wants to kill her necessarily anymore. He wants to like use her yeah. power for himself. Exactly, and I think it's kind of interesting where he's like, "You're either with us or you're against us," because he's trying to lure all the um, demons to his side and now there's kind of like a divide where some of them are going to back the bear and some of them are going to back Vasya slash Morosco assuming that they're on the same side they also said that like she could be a third side yeah <laughs> and, like demons could rally around her but I'm assuming that she and Morosco want the same thing now it, f- it feels like they're at least on the same side for now but we'll see what happens but kind of to that point I actually at first it bothered me that we had the same villain come back and In some ways, I guess I wish it were a little bit different or that the bear was involved. Like, it sort of felt like it makes the second book feel... I don't know. There's something unsatisfying about it. But on the other hand, I think if the bear had just gone to sleep and that was the last we ever saw of him, that would also feel unsatisfying because we, like, killed the sorcerer and Mm -hmm. we have this, like, terrible creature that's just, like, asleep and he's woken up before. So hopefully whatever happens, this will feel more final at the end. I wonder if the sorcerer will come back. I feel like he's dead, but I guess I don't really know. I hope not. You hope he doesn't come back or you hope he's not dead? I hope he I hope he doesn't come back because yeah. one villain coming back is enough. What I'm really excited to learn more about is Baba Yaga because we finally see her. Yeah, and I wasn't quite right, but I was on the right track when I said that she might be her grandmother because she's actually her great-grandmother. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And as soon as she made her way, um, like when she takes the road through midnight, and as soon as she was like, I found an old house in the woods, I was like, oh my god, it's Baba Yaga's house. I know it. (laughs) But then I didn't think she was going to be alive. I thought maybe, I thought this is what I actually thought was going to happen at one point, that she would find out she was a descendant of Baba Yaga, but like she would become the new Baba Yaga because Baba Yaga was gone. I was like pleasantly surprised Mm. when we actually met Baba Yaga and she still exists. She has, she wants her own reality she's also lost her mind a little bit but she wants Vasya and her other descendants to like come back to the house on the lake and like ignore the human world and this whole war and just like take care of the horses and live with her <laughs> right she just yep she just wants to take care of her bird horses man she was a piece of work too because I loved that we found out that she was the one who had twins yep and one of those twins was Tamara, but she really hated her daughters. Both of them. She, both of them, yeah. She was so, she was like, yeah, they betrayed me. Tamara chose a man over her own kin. She gave the golden mare to the sorcerer. They're cowards. Like, she To has... be fair, I felt like all of her complaints were legit, except they were her daughters. And you would think that would still count for something. <laughs> And then now she wants um, Vasya to be like her new heir, mm-hmm. which great. But she's like, yeah, first I got to like stop this battle from happening. So I got more important love, things to do right now, Grandma. 
I love how she doesn't let anyone boss her around. Like, good, bad, or other. She's always mm-hmm. looking for, like, a way to define the rules for herself. Or, like, I mean, like, she's honest with people, but she's also, like, I don't know. Like, there's things about what you're saying that I like, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do what I want to do, and then I'll come back and do what you want to do. Or I'm going to go, like, I just, I love yeah. how she, like, takes these, choose A or B, and she's like, here's what I'm going to do. And she, like, creates Your C. option C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She did that with um the uh the, oak the tree water and... demon. Oh, and that, yeah. I love that when this the water demon was like, yeah, I'm gonna drown all these soldiers. The what was his name? The Vodiani, and she just like marches out right into the into the water, and she's like, "Hi, how are you?" <laughs> she, like she has this very frank conversation with him. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, you're not going to kill these men today. I love that idea, though, that, like, the old magic or whatever needs to be respected. And, like, that also really feels true to this world where, like, people have basically forgotten about them and Mm -hmm. are, like, freaking out about stuff. And she's, like, the one who, like, listens, acknowledges, respects them. I mean, she's been doing it the whole time, right? She'll, like, give a piece of bread to a domo boy or she'll give Mm -hmm. a birch tree to a in the bathhouse or whatever it is and I, I do love this idea of like even though they are demons they're not like demons the way we would think of demons right and if you mm-hmm. like acknowledge and respect them they're still kind of mischievous and have their own goals but like you can find option c like we said <laughs> she did hit mr mushroom over the head yeah i mean <laughs> i think some ptsd is allowed yeah i agree <laughs> I really like the mushroom god, though. He's funny. I like how he, um, like, decides to back her in the war, and he keeps talking about how, like, I remember I was the first one. (laughs) (laughs) That's, like, part of his identity now. I chose your side first. And he's, like, kind of useless. I mean, not completely useless, but, like, as far as all these, like, magical creatures go, he's kind of a small fry, right? Like... (laughs) He makes me laugh, though. I, I agree. He can find her food. That's something, at least. I mean, he's no Solovoy, but he is, it is Ugh. nice to have someone kind of playing that role, still of, like, yeah. comedic relief sidekick-ish thing. I agree. And, oh, we forgot to mention the uh, men that she stops the demon from killing <clears throat> end up being Vladimir's men, her brother-in-law. Yep. He was, like, in the process of bringing silver to Mamai, the Tartar general, on Dimitri's orders to, like, pay his taxes. and Which, again, it's, like, pay or go to war, right? Exactly. And that's why it was interesting that we found out, like, speaking of people picking sides, the river demon was told by the bear to kill the men because, you know, the bear was like, hey, if I can get these men to fight among themselves and, like, take each other out... That does my work for me. Yeah. So he, I think he was, like, purposely trying to start a war between the Tartars and Dimitri by, like, drowning these men and preventing the silver from exchanging hands. So I wonder... I, I predict that most of the demons will side with Bassia, but I wonder if she'll have to do little things like that along the way more and more to kind of win more demons to her side. Well, I do love this idea, too. Like, the demons obviously don't want to fade. That makes sense to me because they want to survive. But it does sound like a lot of them are on the fence about actually they also don't want to hurt humans, right? And now she's also seeing or remembering or hearing stories about, like, in the good old days, basically, where (laughs) everyone lived in peace and, you know, they remembered the different spirits and stuff. But they... So, yeah, it is... I think she is, again, doing this option C. It's not... 
humans or demons. It's like, how do we find a way to live together or find a compromise? Or But I don't know how she's going to get the humans on board with that since they all think she's a witch and mm. all of that. But you know who I think is going to help her? Her niece. Maria? Well, I, I hoped we would have seen more of her. I was thinking of Varvana. Oh, yeah. Oh, can we talk about her more, too? Because I think I texted Definitely. you when I started reading because I was like, why is this suddenly, like, a huge character and where did she come from? And I actually went back through book two because I, I remember there were some mentions of Olga's, like, right-hand lady. who She was, like, the one who was, like, helping bathe, bathe Vasya and, like, bringing her places. Like, and she, she was kind of snarky before, but I, like, didn't realize any of this. But then I looked back in book two and it actually was on, like, page 15 when we first hear that ghost story and realize that uh what's her name Mar- maria mm-hmm. Olga's daughter maria was possibly seeing the ghost like she pointed to the corner and we were like oh maybe she really sees it right but it was also varvera who like was and i remember r- noticing it at the time and then completely forgetting about it until i re- went back and read <laughs> it but she also was like pointing or looking in the corner and then like was interrupted and like went back about her day but it's yeah so she is babiega's other daughter and doesn't have the sight right but understands right. things because she grew up in this world yeah and she's Tamara's twin and so but I'm still kind of confused because obviously her mother has doesn't like her anymore her sister is dead <laughs> she seems to be like she has been helpful but she also seen she's not particularly warm I guess I would say to Vasya or particularly uh she didn't give a lot of information necessarily. So I'm kind of curious what her motivation is. Is she just trying, is, does she like care for this family that's also her family or does she have some other motivation or is this like for her mother or what, like what, I'm curious kind of what her motivation is overall. I'm, I'm thinking she, she wants to protect and preserve her mother's line and her grandmother's line because she was like, she was caring of Vasya, like she took care of her whenever she was injured and stuff. Yeah. But she, I think maybe she purposely did it in a way that was kind of emotionless and a little bit cold because Vasya was like a dangerous person to know up until now. And like if she had blatantly like sided with her and helped her, I think, you know, maybe that would have been dangerous for both of them. So now I'm thinking she might be more helpful. So did she go to the castle just to, like, follow her sister or help her sister? And then did she just st- – because I guess what I'm trying to figure out is Tamara died before Olga ended up back in Moscow. So was – what was she doing there? Was she, like, waiting or was she – like, it sort of makes sense what she's doing now, but I don't understand how she got from, like, leaving her mother to her twin dying to being Olga's assistant and helping out Vasya. Does that make any sense? I don't know. Yeah, maybe she just went to help her sister. Yeah, or maybe, I mean, it could be like she also has this, like she knows that these demons are real and she also Mm -hmm. wants to be in a place where she can help harmony exist. You know, like she also maybe doesn't want them to fade but also doesn't want humans to die. So kind of to your point, she could be a great ally just from like, she might also like have this vision of, yeah, how do we find peace? (laughs) Yeah, she might share Vasya's vision. But again, who's going to listen to her? Because she's just like a servant, right? Yeah, but she also like believes in the demons. Yeah. And I think like once Vasya shows up with all these demons on her side, like, (laughs) yeah, people will have to believe them. But I love the idea of um, twins in this half of the book because we learned that Tamara and um, Varvara were twins and they're similar but different, right? Because Mm -hmm. 
Tamara has sights, Favara, Favara doesn't, but she still like understands and respects the demons. And I thought it was a really interesting comparing them to the bear and Morosco, who were also twins. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting when the bear said, you know, my brother used to be a lot more like me when we were younger. We're t- we, like, we were twins after all. And then when Vasya finally finds uh, Morosco again, she kind of sees a little bit of that side of him, like how he used to be. Yeah. Because she knows that he's been trapped but the trap was like a cleverly set trap because it's it's technically a prison, but it's a prison that's so beautiful that he doesn't want to leave. And yep. He kind of like forgets. He's like so enchanted by it. It's like he he's not trying to escape it. Yeah. Right, right. Which is like so clever. I love that idea. But she does see him like sitting on a throne and he's being treated like a prince and people are sacrificing their daughters to him. And like, yeah, it's easy to forget that like once upon a time, people used to murder their female children in his name and like he let it happen so i thought it was just good to remember that like he and the bear were twins and are still brothers and there's still some evilness about him yeah well and it also i think begs the question of when did they differ because we know that morosco like were they always at odds or were they like living their own in their own realms and like doing the same kind of things or like how did they go from being so similar to being kind of pitted against each other yeah i wonder if there was like a big divide that happened somehow yeah um but speaking of this prison what do you so a lot of this a lot of book three which was like half of this or a quarter of this book was vasia trying to find morosco and free him thinking he would help her And she accomplished that by an interesting method. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. She screwed him back to life. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. I think that's accurate. (laughs) She got a rise out of him. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, so they, he did not remember her and... He was planning to take, like, a maiden sacrifice from this village. And then she, like, challenged him to a duel. And he, like, I guess, like, the idea was deep down he did recognize her or something, but wasn't sure why. So he didn't kill her right away. Mm-hmm. And then they went to the bathhouse and... Got it on! <laughs> Which just felt a little bit weird. I don't know. What do you think about that? <laughs> um, I don't know if... If, did she do it intentionally because she's like, oh, this will get him to remember me? Or was she just kind of like finally giving in to the fact that she did love him? And I just, I, like, if there was manipulation behind it, it makes it kind of ick. But if she was just kind of like, I actually really do love him, then that makes it feel better. I don't know. I mean, he definitely was willing, but. Yeah. And I kind of. He didn't like- know it was her, which makes me feel like, ugh. Yeah, that was the part that was a little bit weird because it wasn't like they started and then he remembered and then they did it. It felt like a weird thing to be like, he thinks you're a stranger. So even if it's re- like, I don't know. It just something about it still maybe. The, the thing that made me feel better was once he realizes it is her, they go for round two. And yeah. then I was like, okay, well, that makes that makes me feel better. Yeah. Because like he willingly knew what he was getting into at that point yeah and they 
And there was, like, didn't he leave at one point and she was, like, offended again? But then, like, yeah, I agree. The way it all ended was fine, but just something about the way it played out, I sort of was like, but he doesn't know who you are, so this feels weird. (laughs) Yeah, I felt a little manipulative. But it worked. So, you know, whatever. She's not dead and he's remembered and they're now headed back to try to get the bridal back on or not back on but on the bear thinking that if it contained the firebird it's strong enough to contain him that's the plan yeah and i'm super worried because bastia asks the question like hey if i to bind the bear do i have to sacrifice like my father did and morose goes like mm, I, I don't know so I'm, do you think Vasia's gonna have to die in order to like tame the bear Um, no, I think she might die, but I don't think she has to die. I think he wasn't sure of another way, but I think that this is a potential option. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I don't think it has to be her either. So I'm curious to see if a sacrifice is made, if it really will be her sacrifice or if it'll be someone. Because part of me thinks she almost has nothing left to lose. Like she seems like the easy choice in some ways. And I feel like, you know, her dad wasn't the easy tr- like I'm kind of curious if it'll be like Olga for her daughter or if it'll be like oh yeah you know one of the other siblings for Basia or if it'll be I hope we see by the way um the siblings from the rural area again I hope that I know you said Arena and who's the other one Alosha Alosha yeah yeah the other guy I don't care about but those two I want to somehow come back and be involved, but we'll see. I'm wondering if Morosko's going to die at the end of this, if he can die, because, like, I'm wondering if he's the person who's going to sacrifice something to bind the bear, because I just still like the idea of him giving up his immortality to because he loves her, and then mm-hmm. losing that and, like, sacrifice, like, maybe he's, his sacrifice is he sacrifices his immortality to be with her. Or maybe there is something about them being twins and, like, they can maybe put him to sleep again, but if they really want to kill him, maybe, like, they're connect. I don't know. Maybe there's some reason. He has to die, too. Oh. Yeah. I just, I really liked this line that he had where he was, Moroska was talking about love and he was basically explaining to her why he was so resistant to giving into his love for her. And he said, love is for those who know the griefs of time, for it goes hand in hand with loss. An eternity so burdened would be a torment. So like, he doesn't want to love her because he knows, you know, she's not immortal and her life is fragile. And like, to have to mourn her for eternity would be too much. I mean, that's a legitimate point. But also her great grandmother's (laughs) been alive for however long. So yeah, but she's clearly gone mad. She's clearly got a few screws loose. But part of why she's gone mad, at least the premise we're given so far is because she like was using her magic so much and Vasya has just started using her magic so it'll be interesting to see if she gets to a tipping point with that yeah oh I hope not as long as Constantine is one of the people who dies at the end I'm okay (laughs) with any of it since since Solovoy's already gone I'm just so nervous that Constantine is gonna be keep I mean I, I think he's gonna die too at the end of this book but Man, he just keeps... He's a little cockroach. ...making people love him. Like, and what a great strategy for the bear to be like, oh, I'll bring all these vampires, these, like, uppers back, and then you can pretend to banish them, and everyone's gonna love you. Like, he... Everyone thinks he's the hero right now. Yeah, but also, don't you think that just... Well, I don't know. I just... I kind of hate how it's, like, the populace as a whole is, like, kind of 
dumb and so easily swayable, but I guess that's also probably accurate, especially if you look at them in aggregate. But it's sort of like, okay, the witch is gone. Do you think they're going to start turning on the niece? What's her name? Or do you, like, who are they going to blame now? Mm. Or is it just, like, because you allowed her into the village, like, this is all your ongoing punishment? I think that's what it is. Because everyone thinks she's dead, except for Sasha, who, like, didn't find the, any bones in the fire, and I think he, he suspects that she's still alive. I thought Barbara told them that she saved her. Didn't oh, she tell think... Olga and Sasha? Yes, you're right, you're right. But you're right. He first... But I think Constantine still thinks she's Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is also funny, because he's made... Not funny is the wrong word, but he's made the bear... That's, like, the side he's chosen, but I don't trust the bear either. The bear will oh, use no. Constantine as long as it helps him, but he's not, like, loyal to him or anything. Like, no. he would be just as likely to kill Constantine as anyone else at this point. <laughs> Who do you want to kill Constantine? Do we want Bastia to kill him? Or do we want the bear to kill him? How do we want him to die? (laughs) I think I want Sasha to kill him. Ooh. Why? Because I kind of don't want someone innocent or relatively innocent to have to kill him. And I feel like, not that Sasha's not innocent, but Sasha's a warrior. I think he'd feel good about, like, protecting his family. I think he, it would, like, kind of be a way, too, for him to choose his family because we had that moment with Olga right where um she was like you can't leave you have to protect your family and he's like no I have to go like help Russia and like get Mm -hmm. Dimitri back on my side oh yeah she was so mad at him and I sort of like want him to yeah make a choice that picks his family and then part of me wants Vasya to do it but I don't want her to have to kill anyone else just for her own sake Mm -hmm. part of me wants um Morosco to do it but that feels almost unfair to have like, I feel like it should be a human. I don't know. That's just, who do you want to kill him? <laughs> How do you want him to die? <laughs> Vasya. Yeah. I want her to kill him. I mean, I'd be happy with that, but. I want her to burn him at the stake slowly. <laughs> I just hated how, like, oh, he, like, he kissed her right before he wanted to kill her, and he's just so slimy. Yeah, but I don't want her to, like, stoop to his level either, like, even though she had that moment of anger where she hurt the mushroom guy, like, I sort of still <laughs> want her to, like, choose a different path. And even if she kills him, I hope she doesn't do it in, like, a... Horrific, satanic way. Torturing yeah. way. I hope she just, like, gets it over with. Yeah. You're right, you're right. But it would be satisfying. Uh, he's just, he's such a great villain. Like, I haven't hated and enjoyed a villain this much in a very long time. Yeah, he's one of the ones that I just really don't like. No, me either. But it's like... Which is good. That's what you want in a villain. I kind of love to hate him, if that makes sense. Well, it's also funny because he's... I mean, he's... He's kind of like a cockroach. Like, he's not, like, the evil mastermind, <laughs> but he just, like, keeps getting involved with these evil masterminds. You know, like, the sorcerer and the bear yeah. are, like, bigger villains on the one hand, but, like, Constantine's the one who's still around. <laughs> and, like, I don't know. There's something about that that is... Okay, what was your favorite scene? Do we do that already? Oh, I guess we don't. You're right. We do that at the end of the book. It was, I will just say, like, the, I don't even know, do you call it time travel? Or do you, like, the way she was Mm. wandering down the, like, in Midnight's air highway, whatever it's called. I forget what it's called. The road to midnight. The road to midnight. And, like, how every few steps would be, like, a midnight somewhere else. Like, I think that would be a cool scene to watch. Some of that, like, just, like, oh. Yeah, now there's a moon, now there's not a moon, now there's snow. Like, and the season's changing and things like that. Like, it was just kind of a cool magic to think about, and it was kind of hard to wrap your brain around, or at least for me. But I really liked some of the ideas about how, and like with the lake and going around the different seasons, but then you couldn't go back in mm-hmm. like three months. And like, I don't know, just something about the way the magic was explained there, I really 
appreciated. I liked how she couldn't fall asleep because she might wake up in a different midnight and it could Mm -hmm. be like years and years later and she would be dead. Like, that's terrifying. It was a really cool land, but it was also really scary. Yeah. And it was also like, there were rules, but they weren't entirely logical. Like, it made... (laughs) sense but it was also like how do you know if you're near or far it's like oh you don't (laughs) (laughs) or you know like (laughs) yeah there were things about it that I don't know I just thought it was like a really cool explanation of magic that I haven't really seen before but also made sense to me yeah I agree although it was interesting because she did fall asleep but Morosco was like keeping her there was that the same idea with like the mushroom when he was like keeping an eye on her and an eye on the horse like as long as you were being like anchored there it yeah. would, you could sleep okay so then why couldn't you just sleep and have the mushroom watcher well i don't know if the mushroom was strong enough okay that's that's fair <laughs> mushroom. what was his name grandfather mushroom i don't remember she gave him a name that translated to grandfather mushroom so that's what i kept calling him <laughs> in my mind i really liked the horses yeah so much Like, I love the idea that all of the horses are actually birds. So, like, we knew that Solovey was the nightingale, and we knew that the other mare was the firebird. But then we learned that um, Morosco's white horse Mm -hmm. was a swan. And I loved that, um, like, to find Morosco, you had to to reach out towards something that was similar to you. So it was, like, like calls to like. And so she used the horse the firebird horse to find his horse and that was how she was able to track him like through their horses and oh i would just love to see like all them grazing together just like these most beautiful beautiful horses that were birds at the same time yeah that that would be watching a lot of tiktok videos you can tell (laughs) the mare's name so baba yeager called her pozar if you remember yep and that means fire in russia oh well that's fitting then yeah I feel like that Posar, too, is just, sounds like an exceptionally beautiful horse. Like, I think seeing any of the horses to birds and, like, multiple, like, they all seem pretty majestic, but especially her, that mare. Yeah, she's she's gorgeous. Do you think she's going to let Vasya ride her eventually or no? Yeah, I do. I actually really do. Um, She inspired my research. Oh, yeah? What did you research? The Firebird Horse. So do you remember in the beginning of the of this book, they were talking about... They always start with a fairy tale. Is that what you're talking I about? I know, right. Yeah, the legend of Maria Moreva, Morevna. Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember a little bit. And they didn't go into it a lot, but the concept was like they gave... Someone captured the horse and gave it to the sorcerer, and that caused a lot of problems. So I, I researched that legend. Okay, tell me more. There's a lot of tie-ins. <laughs> Perfect. Will it help us make predictions? Maybe. Okay, so this story is called The Death of Koche the Deathless or Maria Morevna. Um, and it was a Russian fairy tale collector by Alexander Afanasyev. Okay. So, okay, here's, here's the fairy tale. So a long time ago in a Russian kingdom, there was a czar and his queen, and they had a son, Ivan, and three daughters, Maria, Olga, and Anna. And the czar passed away, and he instructed Ivan to uh, make sure his sisters were properly married. And so the year passed, and Tsar Ivan was walking in a garden with his three sisters, And a black cloud appeared, and he told his sisters to go inside before the storm started. And as they stepped inside, lightning flashed, and a falcon flew through the window and turned into a prince. Okay. And he looked 
at Maria and asked if he could marry her. And Ivan accepted the proposal and so did Maria. And so they were married and the falcon carried her back to his kingdom. And then... So they... Wait, so... But they both accepted the proposal? So Ivan let his sister have a say in it? Yeah. That's nice. That's what it says. I know. Actually, this book... This fairy tale was surprisingly um, feminist. I like it. One year to the day, Ivan was walking through the palace gardens again with his two sisters. And just like last time, a black cloud appeared. He urged his sisters to go back to the palace to escape the storm. Lightning flashed and an eagle flew into the window and then turned into another prince. And he looked at Olga and asked for her hand in marriage. Ivan approved. Olga approved. They were married and the eagle carried Olga off. Can you just just imagine, though, <laughs> this courting ritual? This is, like, hilarious to think about in some ways. Like, your brother, like, so many aspects of it make sense. But just, like, there's a storm cloud and then a bird appears and it's actually a prince. <laughs> and then just the visual of a falcon carrying off a girl. Yeah. Like, what the F? And her being like, yeah, let's do this. This seems like a really good idea. <laughs> I'm sure our kids would be great. <laughs> they wouldn't be messed up at all. Um, okay, so then a year to the day of that happening, same situation. A raven appeared and saw Anna, asked Anna for her hand in marriage. Everyone agreed. They were married. The raven carries Anna off. So now Ivan is alone in his palace and he's very lonely. So he um, told his boyers that he was leaving the kingdom and he was going to go riding for an indefinite period of time. So there was no bird princess who showed up at his house. No, okay. no. But better than that, he rides off and he rides up to a field that's covered in um, soldiers and the, the soldiers were all slain. And the army was um, defeated by the army of this woman, Maria Morevna. Okay. And she invited him to her tent after he was like, look, I come in peace. And she invited him to her tent for a feast. And he stayed with her for three days and three nights. There's a lot of threes in this, just so you know. So they decided they were madly in love. As one does. And they decided to get married in Maria's kingdom. So wait, why did she kill all those soldiers? Do we know? No. Okay. <laughs> I think she, I don't know. I, I have no idea. All but, I know is that. But we're just supposed to know that she's a terrifying warrior woman. Yeah. She's like okay. a warrior princess. And so they get married. They live happily for a while. Then one day she comes to Ivan and she's like, yeah, I got to lead another battle. Uh, I'm leaving. Bye. <laughs> so she, when she leaves, she tells Ivan Okay, I'm putting you in charge of the kingdom until I get back, but there's this chamber at the tallest turret of the castle, and you cannot go into that chamber under any circumstances. Because that's where only women are allowed. <laughs> yeah, it's the tarum. It's not. So what do you think he did? Um, what anyone does if you say don't push this button, he pushed the button. Yeah. So he goes into the chamber and he finds a giant who is chained. He's bound with seven iron chains. Okay. And the giant says... Oh my gosh, I haven't had anything to eat or drink in 10 years. (laughs) Please give me some water. So Ivan brings the giant um, some water and he brings him three pails of water. When the giant finishes the last one, he breaks through the chains. And it happens to be that it's not just a giant, it's Koshe the Deathless, the sorcerer. So he 
flies out of the window, and then he flies across the land where Maria is. He sweeps her up and carries her off to his kingdom. So Ivan's like pretty depressed because his wife got stolen by this sorcerer. And it was his own fault for not listening to her in the first place. Yeah. (laughs) So this is funny. He says, it says, Ivan was depressed and he sat in the castle crying and weeping for his mistake and the loss of his love. Time passed and wounds healed, but he still missed his wife, so he decided to go rescue her. <laughs> like, years later, he's like, I guess I'll go rescue I her kinda, now. I mean, you know, I'm doing fine, but I miss her a little bit, so maybe <laughs> I, there's not much else to do this weekend. I'll go try and find her. <laughs> so he rides his horse for three days. There's so many threes. Until he finds his brother-in-law, the falcon, and he stays with his brother-in-law and his sister, and he's like, listen, I'm going to go find my wife. Here's a silver spoon. If anything happens to me, the spoon will turn black, and you'll know I'm in trouble. So he leaves. That's handy. (laughs) Yeah, right? I wish I had that. So he leaves Maria a silver spoon. He finds Olga and leaves her a silver fork, and then he sees the raven and sees his last sister and he leaves them a silver tobacco box. So then he travels for three more days and then he finally finds the sorcerer. He walks into the palace grounds and finds Maria. He takes her on his horse and he rides off. That was easy. Poche was hunting. He comes back and one of his horses tells him that Ivan has taken Maria. So he mounts the magical horse. He catches up to Ivan and he sweeps Maria back and he tells Ivan, I'll kill you if you come back and try and take her again. So he goes back to try and rescue her again. (laughs) So once again, he comes back to Koshe's kingdom. He takes Maria. One of the sorcerer's horses tells him, you know, Ivan came and took her again. So he jumps on the magical horse. He rides after Ivan and Maria and he kills, he kills Ivan. What? So Ivan didn't even have a plan? No. (laughs) His wife, his wife basically, well, so he he does it three times. On the third time, his wife's like, dude, he is going to kill you if you do this. And he's like, better to be dead than live without you. (laughs) Even though I did it for a few years and it was fine. But of course he gets caught. (laughs) So he catches up to Ivan and he cuts him into many small pieces and puts the pieces into a barrel and throws the barrel into the sea. Well, that's one way to do it. And when that happens. I hope that happens to Constantine. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Um, and when that happens, the fork, the tobacco box, and the spoon all turn black, and the brothers-in-law and sisters realize that something bad happened to Ivan, but luckily, the eagle flies into the sea, snares the barrel, carries it to shore, the falcon obtains some magical water, and the raven finds some magical water too, and with this magical water, they put Ivan back together piece by piece. Those are some good brother-in-laws to have. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they- they pour the water of the dead on the severed pieces and fuse them back together. And then the falcon pours the water of the living on the body and then Ivan springs back to life. <laughs> and then it says, Ivan thanked his brothers-in-law and walked back to Koshe's palace. <laughs> um, so this time he's like, okay, I'm not going to be so stupid. I'm going to have a plan. So he asks Maria where Koshe fi- where Koshe keeps his magical horses and where he acquires them from. And Maria asks Koshe innocently, and he tells her that he got the horses from Baba Yaga, who lives on the other side of the River of Fire, and his, he has a magical handkerchief that helps him cross. 
Is this starting to sound familiar? Yes, this sounds like with the part that we heard in the book, right? Yep, yep, with the magical handkerchief. So while Koche sleeps, Maria takes his magic handkerchief, gives it to Ivan, and tells him, go to Baba Yaga's house on the other side of the River of Fire. Um, and this is what Tamara did, right? What do you mean? Doesn't she give someone a handkerchief? Oh no, she takes the bridle. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so Ivan, blah, blah, blah. There's like so much. So finally he... Um, he gets a horse. Finally he meets, he makes it to Baba Yaga's house. He tells her that he'll serve her for three, I don't know, a, a, a number of, some some amount of time. Three days and three nights, as always. I'm just yeah, something like that. Or like three years or something like that. So she says, okay, you can tend my stables, but if one horse escapes, I'm going to cut off your head and put it on a stake next to all my other heads. But I guess a lot of people come to serve her and don't do so well. But she said, I'll reward you if you can keep your horses, my horses in my stable. And (laughs) so when Ivan goes to sleep, Baba Yaga goes out to her stable and she tells all the horses to run away from Ivan. (laughs) And then... As soon as he takes the horses out to the meadow, they all run in different directions and he can't do anything. And he's like, oh, geez, Louise, what am I going to do? Then luckily some birds come and they force all the stable, all the horses back to their stable to help him. Luckily some magic birds come and they help him. But, but not magic horse birds and not magic brother-in-law birds. No, no. This was like from earlier in the story. He like came across a mother bird and he tried to eat them. But the mother bird was like, don't eat me. I might, you might need my help later. So he like lets them live. These were those birds. I just skipped that part because this story is so long. <laughs> yeah, this is quite the epic. <laughs> um. So essentially the horses keep running away and then they, he, magical creatures come and help him. And Koche finds out that... He um, has taken Maria again. He mounts a magical horse, charges after them. Ivan now has a very magical horse that he took from Baba Yaga. And when uh, Koche appeared, this horse struck Koche in the head and killed him. And finally, Maria and and, um, Ivan get to ride back to their kingdom and live happily ever after. (laughs) Man. So they must... Okay, also, she was, like, a warrior person. She did nothing to help him. No, she really didn't. I mean, I guess she stole the handkerchief. That was a big deal. <laughs> I guess so, but it's almost like she really didn't want to leave. Maybe she just wanted to see how far he'd go for her. Oh, and Baba Yaga dies, too, so... Oh, no. <laughs> he, like, one day when he was trying to gather the horses, he finds... He, he crosses her river of fire with the magic handkerchief, and... He takes one of her colts and rides away. And then Baba Yanga gets very angry that she takes one of, that he, that he took one of her horses, that she rides after him. But when she came to the river of fire, she tried to cross it, but she fell in and was never heard from again. Hmm. This is a very strange story. It is, but I kind of like it. And you're right. There are a lot of tie-ins to some of these different aspects in this book. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember the story that we learned in this book. There wasn't a ton, but I do remember like the magic handkerchief and the... And that Bobby Yaga had horses. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, that's it. That's, that's about it. <laughs> but I think it's it's interesting that, um, I don't know, there's still like the idea of betrayal where like Tamara stole the firebird and like gave it to Ivan and... Well, there's also that part where like the sorcerer stole her 
And wasn't that what she, like, didn't want to tell? Wasn't there a part where she was, like, I didn't want to, like, remind her of mm-hmm. when she was asking about the tale? So that makes sense because yeah. she literally was kidnapped by the sorcerer. Kidnapped. Yep. Interesting. So anyway, that was my, that was my research. No, that was, like, <laughs> fascinating. That was way more interesting than my research. And we don't have a ton, a ton of time, so I might just go through mine kind of quickly because it's not that great. But when we found the, um, not Constantine. What's his name? Morosco. Oh, God. And he was being, like, celebrated at this midwinter celebration in this town. And basically everyone was, like, honoring him and, like, serving him food and wine. And he was got to, like, pick a maiden and she was a sacrifice and all this stuff. So I was curious about some of the different traditions people have around midwinter or the winter solstice. Mm. So I'll just pull out a couple of them. So this one, that sounded pretty cool. So I guess there's an annual lottery to get the chance to stand inside the New Grange Monument in Ireland and absorb the first rays of the day as they fill this ancient monument chamber during the winter solstice. So Newgrange is a burial mound in Ireland's Boyne Valley. It's over 5,000 years old, um, and it contains a 62-foot passage that leads into a chamber that is aligned with the sun as it rises during winter solstice, according to records online. And sometime between, like, December 19th and December 23rd around dawn, sunlight pierces through the top of the chamber and slowly illuminates the room over, like, 17 minutes. And... In this article is from 2017. So the year this article was published, according to their website, more than 32,500 people had applied for a spot in this chamber. What? And only 60 are picked each year. And I just thought, like, I had never heard of this, but that sounded like such a, like, wouldn't that be cool to be able to, like, be in Ireland and, like, in this ancient monument and be one of, like, 60 people who get to see? Yes. I I thought that sounded really cool. Krampus. Do you know much about Krampus? The half demon, half, oh yeah, half goat, like evil version of Santa Claus. That doesn't he like come and hit people with sticks? Yeah, he whips bad children, and he's part of like uh, German folklore. But mm-hmm. there's, I guess, a run where people dress like Krampus, and uh, it's in Austria, and they think it wards off bad spirits near the winter solstice. So it, I don't know, it just kind of sounded like a fun <laughs> kind of like. Isn't there, like, a Santa run or something in Chicago? I don't know. Just, like, I was just imagining all these people. So people, like, wear fur body suits and, like, horned masks and, like, bring whips and it's just, and, like, tease that the crowd. terrifying. It sounds so interesting, though. Um, and I just thought that was kind of funny. What's another one? There's, in Japan, I guess, during, to welcome the winter solstice, they, some people traditionally soak in hot baths with yuzu citrus fruit. And they also believe it protects the body from the common cold. And they also do this for some of the animals in Japanese zoos, which is just kind of like a funny combination of traditions. In Japanese zoos? Yeah, so like they do a custom bath for animals in Japanese zoos for the solstice. So it showed um, like the hippos and the capybaras. Enjoying fruit-filled baths last December in the in two different zoos in Japan. That sounds so. I would love to see that. Oh my gosh. I know these were all just like fun. Like they just seemed like big. These weren't. I read some other like more traditional celebrations, and I guess that would have been more informative. But these just seem like quick. They stand out. Yeah. Yeah, and like these kind of extraordinary things that I didn't really know much about. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah so Stonehenge is also kind of a big destination because of how it aligns with the sun's movement and it was thought to be a sacred place for like celebrating solstices for thousands of years so it's also kind of a big destination for both the summer and winter solstice but they like sing and dance and play instruments and do yoga and there's just like crowds of people waiting (laughs) for the solstice in these pictures so I feel like we don't do anything for the solstice here well, Christmas is basically like a midwinter tradition in modern yeah. Western culture. So, I mean, it's not technically necessarily aligned with the solstice, but it kind of is in the sense that it's like right around the shortest day of the year. Um, mm-hmm. And it is based partially off of the ancient Roman solstice celebration, Saturnalia, which was dedicated to Saturn. Oh, Bacchanalia, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that used to be like a week-long celebration, like a big festival with a party all week and whatnot. So there were we still did that. other things, but I again, your story was much more fascinating than anything I researched, so. <laughs> I really am like enjoying learning about these Russian folklore tales. I do too, and I actually like kind of want to like find something else to read after this, even if it's like a children's book or like like not necessarily even for the podcast. I'm enjoying yeah. learning about this time and part of the world and the folklore involved and all of that. So so yeah, um, I don't even want to share anything else that interesting. Okay. Um, what else do we have to do? Is it, I think it's your turn to tell a joke this week. Oh my goodness, it is. And I had one and I forgot to pull it up. One second. How many ants does it take to fill an apartment? Tenants. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of prize do you give someone who hasn't moved a muscle in over a year? Hmm, I don't know. A trophy. Atrophy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. That's good. And then this is the last one because it has a horse in it. What do you call a horse with insomnia? Oh, I don't know. A nightmare. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Cool. Um, okay, we're going to finish the book for next week. And the series. I mean, it's the, the same series. thing, but... Uh, I can't wait to see how it all turns out. Yeah. Do you think we'll save Russia? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident we're going to save Russia. Do you like how I say we, too? Like, we? by yeah. reading it, we are going to help save Russia. <laughs> I'm going to jump on that firebird horse, slay Constantine, maybe marry Sasha. I don't know. Just spitballing here. <laughs> Just, just throwing things out there, maybe. <laughs> yeah, who would be the pirate prince of the series? I kind of feel like Sasha would be the closest thing. Really? Yeah, no, Solovoy no. is the pirate prince. Solovoy, <laughs> yes. I like that. <laughs> well, Orvasia is kind of the pirate prince. That's true. I am loving her as a character. She's a fun, not your traditional, even like female heroine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like it's cool that, it, but sh- I, I, I don't know. I'm really enjoying this whole thing. I am too. All right, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. Tell us if you have any other recommendations for Russian folklore stories. We'd love to hear from them. We'd love to hear about them and read them. Yes. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. 
Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.